Hello, and welcome to another episode of Reboot Higher Ed. I'm your host, Paul Bolton. In my last episode, I stated I was going to be doing some micro-sodes, um, so just short podcast episodes that I'm calling micro-sodes. Cute, I know. And we're going to be tackling some uh, different enrollment ta- topics in a short format and really um, begin cultivating discussions uh, through this audience that's listening to this podcast and then as you uh, indirectly lead uh, within your department and, and intra departments, uh, and then also upward at your university of giving you um, some different topics and points of discussion uh, to begin um, some d- decision making and next steps, current state, future steps, future state, and next steps. Um, and you're, uh, I know we like to have meetings in higher education at your institution. I know that you're in plenty of them. So I uh, uh, hope to give you some. Uh, just things and tools and aha moments, um, and that's the goal of the microsodes and this podcast in general. So today we're going to be talking about the National Association for College Admissions Counseling, also known as NACAC. Uh, and NACAC has been, been promoting ethical admissions practices since its founding in 1937. So the NACAC annual conference was held in Louisville, Kentucky this last September, just a few months ago, and there was a vote on the NACAC's Code of Ethics. So the Code of Ethics focuses on policies and practices that are in place, and they basically just look out for the best interest of the student. And there was no rules or regulations. Again, this founding is in 1937, and I'm not sure about all the different like laws and policies and the, the timeline of those, but you know, you know why it's in place. And in the past, it had to be put in place because there wasn't any rules or regulations, uh, especially when regarding student recruitment. And the code of ethics played a role in leveling the playing field with policies. So going to go not go over, but just list these policies uh, quickly. Um, Colleges must not offer incentives exclusive to students applying or admitted under any early decision application plan. Next is colleges will not knowingly recruit or offer enrollment incentives to students who are already enrolled, registered, and have declared their intent or submitted contractual deposits to other institutions. And colleges must not solicit transfer applications uh, from from a previous year's applicant. So according to the Chronicle of Higher Education, NACAC was pressured to eliminate rules that barred colleges from offering incentives such as special housing or better financial aid packages exclusively to applicants who apply under binding early decision programs. So NACAC leadership supported removing the provisions in its code in hopes of avoiding potential litigation from the Department of Justice. Um, and this is going back into 2017 when the department uh, with the DOJ, G, DOJ pardon me, uh, launched a probe into whether NACAC had violated federal antitrust laws by reducing competition between universities. So it's too early to see the impact this would create, but let's press on. So the Department of Justice believes that increased competition by colleges for students will reduce cost of college. So let's dive a little deeper. Um, so those early decision changes, and what does this mean? Well, May 1st is known as the universal reply date in college admissions. It's a deadline for students who have not already done so to commit to a college for the next fall. So previously, the Code of Ethics prohibited colleges from trying to poach a student who has indicated their intent to enroll into another college. So there's 
I mean, no incentives to change their mind and no last minute scholarships or other benefits to say, hey, you know, you know, you know, it, we want you. And if you're going to go to that school, what if, you know, what if we put this on the table? Would you come here? So it keeps colleges from doing this. Uh, so this, you know, these changes right away, this can mean some changes in the budget. And again, it's too early to see the full impact, but we have to begin the conversation. So increased competition in the market. Uh, increased competition requires a higher spend in marketing efforts to attract students. Higher spends can, can increase tuition. As many of us are dropping the sticker price to attract students, they will also have to find a happy medium as they aim to, you know, as they aim to compete with colleges for students. In the past, we felt like secure about students once they deposited or enrolled. And for many schools, this can mean a shift in how you budget your marketing spends and admission strategies for this upcoming fall and upward. We use our funnel data to see how things are going in our recruitment trends. Um, that's, you know, that's crucial. And the funnel data can tell you, you know, everything that you need to know um, about, you know, what's coming in, where is it coming from, and also the conversion rates. And one of those is, you know, the deposited. So a student is admitted. Um, so they submit their application. They're they they're admitted, and then they make that deposit. Now that po- the deposit number used to be, or maybe it, it probably hasn't been for a while, as many students were making multiple deposits in the last couple of years. Um, this we do know. Don't have the exact data on that, but I know students have been doing that. Um, so multiple deposits where you would see a one-to-one ratio that could start to shift um, in your conversion data as you're now looking at your funnel where if you had you know a couple hundred students deposit let's say you had 300 deposited students you would expect you're expecting very close conversion from deposited uh, to enrolled so once that that you know that students are deposited you can start forecasting that's going to change the conversation um, within your um, uh, weekly or quarterly meetings you have um, as far as goal attainment for students coming into your university. Um, so that, you know, that CRM data is going to be um, very, uh, it's just going to be changing the way that we're looking at it. So again, if enrollment is declined, the first place you have to look is the data coming in through your CRM platform used in the student recruitment. So, you know, we're definitely paying, I believe, and I hope everyone is paying attention to that data. Uh, but I will, you know, I will say that it, with increased market competition, it's vital that you have the vehicle prepared for the long road ahead. And I've worked in student recruitment for over 10 years, and I'm still amazed at the lack of value placed uh, on the CRM, the central nervous student of your student recruitment. Um, and we're going to go into that in, a, in another episode, another microsode. But that's the central nervous system of your student recruitment. I know that if you've ever sat down and engaged with a consultant, the first thing they're going to want to do is clean the data, not just your institutional data that you have in your student database, but the data coming in. If those things aren't clean and they're not tracking appropriately, um, you don't have a lot to go on. So, uh, you know, with increased market competition and, uh, how you utilize that data is going to be crucial to your overall success. Um, I don't think I'm giving you an aha, mo- aha moment uh, with that. So, you know, increased uh, competition also means that you better know your market or your spend into closing your doors. You know, let's think about what about the staff 
task on the front end for, with recruiting? When was the last time there was a change made in the organization? You know, how are these decisions made? Uh, admissions leaders, what about our professional development? We know all there is to know about our university historical trends, policies, etc. But that won't hold well in a setting when you're tasked uh, with solutions. You're tasked with, hey, what are we going to do? And how many times have you been in an institutional meeting, in a meeting at your institution, focused on solution that goes down the path of history 101? So I've got news for us all, and this for me too. No one cares what we know if it doesn't involve next steps to what's next. If this code of ethics changes anything, it's a wake-up call. Universities need to begin listening to those on the front line and mid-level. Not just listening, but asking for solutions to battle these changes. Set the stage for solutions driven by the talented group of professionals that fall under the category of staff. Students can be poached, but so can your leaders. Today, when you're in your discussions down, you know, this month, this week, you know, think about some things that you know, like we need to be talking about and not just discussions, but it's discussions with next steps, solutions, and then who's accountable for those next steps, <clears throat> you know, those follow-ups with, you know, as, you know, committees and subcommittees, and we have so many different groups on campus, but with some of these items that we're going to be facing, especially for those that um, work in that small college um, arena, you know, we don't, again, have much room for error and we're going to have to shift because right now I think a lot of us are playing defense and if we're not moving into the offensive mode and being proactive, um, these changes are going to continue to occur. This is just the beginning, I believe, and there's much more down the road. And uh, we need to be able not just to pivot and move, but do so in a strategic manner that has success built into it. Thanks for tuning in to, the, to today's micro episode of Reboot Higher Ed, and uh, have a great rest of your day.